Welcome to Payrollin', the show where you will learn how to operate and grow your payroll business from the most dynamic minds in the business. If your company offers payroll services, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Matt Vady. Let's go. Are you tired of dealing with payroll? Would you just like to finally get out of this industry and start focusing on what you actually do best, whether you're a CPA, healthcare broker, whatever your core discipline is, you started offering payroll services because you thought it would be a great value add. And then you quickly realized, well, this is consuming way more time for not enough money than I originally thought. Did you know that we are actively acquiring payroll books of business? We would love to work with you to identify if we can help you to partner with the right group that makes sense for an exit for you, but creates consistency in how you continue to treat your clients. If you're interested in learning more about Guru's acquisition services, simply go to guru.co forward slash acquisitions. That's G-U-H-R-O-O dot C-O forward slash acquisitions. What is up, everybody? Today, I am coming to you live from Las Vegas at the IPPA conference, the Independent Payroll Providers Association conference, and it has been awesome. So I just wanted to provide a quick recap of the keynote today from Jesse Itzler, a few takeaways that I had while listening to it, some lessons learned, some of the nuggets he shared. So if you are here, I'm excited to have met you. Hopefully we did. If not, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Let's get in touch. I've enjoyed learning from everyone here. If you're not here, this is your call to action. You should be here. This event is amazing. It is the perfect event for people in the payroll industry. I learn so much every time I connect with the people here. Just the nuggets in the hallway, the nuggets in the meals, just people dropping little bombs that you can use back at your business to help you grow, to help you be more efficient and do things things better. So I'm going to just really talk primarily about the keynote right now, Jesse Itzler. And I'm going to start with something that I, I, I learned recently about Tony Robbins. So whenever we do content, whether it's on stage, whether it's a webinar, whether it's a, a podcast for that matter, I've always really taken the introduction for granted. And the reason why is my philosophy has always been, look, I'm going to prove or our speakers are going to prove their expertise with their content. What difference does it make if we go on a big, long diatribe about how great they are? You're going to find out how great they are. I don't want to waste that time. People should know, you know how great this speaker is, et cetera. But Tony Robbins recently shared in an interview that the biggest impact on what the audience takes away, their uh, perception of how good his talk was, almost always comes down to the introduction. He said when he gets the appropriate introduction with the right level of energy that sets him up and tees him up as the expert, the person that's going to change their life, the person that can help them, it is much more impactful to the listener, to the attendee. And that has really been something I've been focusing on lately. And so I tried to do a good job uh, prior to, I, I led a panel today. I did my best to, to do an, a good intro for the folks on the panel, more than I typically would have done. It was still not a lot because we wanted to focus on the content. 
but I, I was paying a lot of attention to it before Jesse Itzler came out. So this guy's got a resume a mile long, which includes things like being a part owner of the Hawks and, you know, billion dollar, I think, exit. I know he's married to Sarah Blakely from Spanx, who recently made a billion dollar exit. And I, I don't th- I don't know if he made a billion dollar exit, but he's made a couple exits. And he's just I mean, they went on and on with all of his accolades and really set the stage for people that didn't know him to get familiar with, oh, wow, this guy is super accomplished. He has done a lot, and he is somebody that I can learn from and set the stage for success. And so, you know, if you're not out here, there's a big conference room at uh, one of the Caesars. Uh, it's called Caesars Forums, big conference space. We had a four, little over 400 people, I think, at the, the this morning was the big keynote. He was the lead speaker. He kicked it all off. And round tables, sitting about eight at a table, very dim lights, kind of pink shades throughout the room. DJ playing. She was doing an awesome job, spinning some tunes before he came up and and setting him up for success and really great energy in the room. People were having a blast and, and kind of really tuned in. He came out. He had a lot of energy. Guy moves around the stage a lot. He's wearing T-shirts and a jeans, kind of curly hair with like a headband on and wiry kind of dude, but just just really all over the place. A lot of energy, really great talk. But one of the things that jumped out at me from his talk and actually from three, four years ago here at IPPA, we had Jeb Blunt come out on stage. If you're not familiar with Jeb Blunt, check out, we actually had him on the podcast uh, last year, I think. If you go through and search the episodes, we haven't done that many episodes. You can find the episode with Jeb Blunt and we talk about his storytelling And what makes these guys different with storytelling, Jesse Itzler, Jeb Blunt, Tony Robbins, I noticed this with Tony Robbins as well, is the level of detail they give during their stories to make you feel like you were there, to allow you to visualize what was happening. And so, you know, with Tony Robbins, I listened to a story once where he did where he was describing Standing at the tee, getting ready to tee off in a round of golf. He described, you know, what it looked like on the right side of the fairway, the people standing just to the right of him, how many there were, what they were wearing, uh, you know, just talking about how, you know, how when you walk up to the ball and you, you do the little shake and you get ready to take your practice swings. And he just really gave you the opportunity to visualize it. It wasn't the point wasn't anything about his golf swing or, or any of that. But what he did was he kind of buried the, you into the story so that you could take the lesson away. Jeb Blunt did the same thing uh, when he was here. He told this story for all of you that were here about the bakery. I can still picture the loaves of bread going out through a hole in the wall that he described this metal detector to detect whether or not they, they had anything in them. And, and just the level of detail that he gave really allowed me to picture it in my mo- own mind's eye and, and have a clear picture of what he was going for. And, and Jesse did the same thing. He told some stories about... Uh, He had made a demo tape. He used to be a a white rapper, and he told some stories about a a concert that he did and about a demo tape that he made on his answering machine, and he really got detailed. And I think for us as people who present a lot of content, I'm imagining if you're listening to this, you probably create content. You might do talks. You might do webinars. You might do speaking engagements. Oftentimes, we leave out a lot of the details because we think that we might be boring people with the details, whereas in reality, we could be giving them a much better picture of the story. And that's the overarching theme is that it has to be a story. 
And so if you can tell a great story with a beginning, middle and end, you know, there's almost always this moment where you're about to fail or you're up against a wall or something happens and derails you, but you overcome that obstacle or your client overcomes that obstacle, really give it that story arc and allow for the, the listener or the attendee or whatever it might be to get inside of your narrative. And so I thought these guys were tremendous at that. He told a lot of good ones. I'm going to share some of his little nuggets that I took out of this and maybe add a little bit of context to some of them as well. And this is a guy who really, he just gave instance after instance of things he's done in his life that are really, really incredible accomplishments that were self-generated. I mean, I think he talked about cold calling, you know, he cold called billionaires at, at times and got on their calendar and did things like stalking outside their offices and just whatever it took to get the meetings he needed to get, to stay persistent enough to push a deal through. He really talked a lot about creating your own luck. And, and I think if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an owner, you're listening to this, you know, sometimes we get a little stagnant and we forget that if we want to take it to the next level, we're going to have to get uncomfortable. We're going to have to do things that maybe we don't want to do anymore because they're quote unquote beneath us. Talk about that cold call. Like maybe now you're at this point in your career where you don't think you need to cold call anybody for anything, but guess what? That's not how the world works. So um, he, I'm going to pull in some of these great quotes he dropped off in here as well. I like he, he used a quote from Harry Truman. If you can't convince them, confuse them. He was talking about uh, he, he basically pretended to be uh, associated with another rapper so that he could get a meeting and, and um, ended up getting a deal as a result of it. But just kind of did a little bit of uh, song and dance to make that work. And um, he talks about his intersection of, of how you can find your your thing. Uh, finding that intersection of things that you love, things that you are good at, and ha things that can help people. So if you're in this industry, as an example, and you don't love it, you know, find your angle of what you do love about it, right? So for us, it's the human resources side. I know I'm, I'm really passionate about helping companies to increase their employee engagement, create a better pay place to work for their employees, to make sure that people are, are really having a great work experience and, and they bring that home with them. I've got this Pollyannish view that every interaction we have with our clients could possibly brighten somebody's day, which could then potentially make them have a better day. They go home, they treat their spouse better, they treat their kids better, their kids do better in school. Like You never know how far that ripple effect goes when you create positivity in the world. And I, I think this guy was a really good example of creating some of those themes. So one of the other things he did, so he, as I mentioned, he was trying to get into a rap career. And so he, he had created this song after he had signed a record deal. He failed. He, he let off the gas. He was pretty adamant about the fact that he got very excited about getting the big deal. Once again, that story arc. So he had a failure of got the big deal, was so excited, failed, let his foot off the gas, and then came back and created a theme song for the New York Knicks. Uh, during when, when they were good and popular, which as a Knicks fan, you know, it was a long time ago, if any of you are suffering Knicks fans like myself. But so he created a theme song for them and it hit and he charged them or they paid him $4,000 for the rights to the song and all in it cost him $4,800 to produce the song. So he made the point, is that a good business model? Well, no, you don't want to lose $800 on every deal. But in reality, he would have paid them $10,000 to take his song because it's getting played hundreds of thousands of times. And now even the local radio stations want it. 
While most artists are trying to get directly on the radio, he's saying, great, now I found this angle of if I can create theme songs for pro sports teams, then that will maybe eventually get to the radio, but it's my niche. It's my differentiator. And he talked a lot about differentiation, and I think in our industry, differentiation is really hard. We get very homogenized, especially local and regional providers, very similar value propositions. And so you just have to determine, are you trying to be different? From the nationals, are you trying to be different from other locals? Are you trying to be different than the whole industry and do things in a completely unique way? It, there's no right answer there, but you have to make sure that you're, you're being different by actually being different. And I think that's something that we all kind of struggle with sometimes. And, and some of the mes messaging can look the same. But I, I would also say to defend that a little bit. A lot of our messaging is that we are different than the nationals. And for the bulk of us, we are trying to defeat the nationals, not each other. So even if we all have similar messaging, is that really all that bad? I, could, I haven't really thought about it from that perspective for a while. So I'd be curious to get some of your input for those of you that listen to this. So drop me a note and, and let me know what you think. Let me ask you a question. Are you the go-to person in your market for payroll and HR? Are you the first face and name somebody thinks of when they think about who am I going to refer this person that needs help with their payroll and HR support? If not, you might want to look into our executive LinkedIn management service through Underdog Digital. Underdog Digital is a sponsor of this show, and they've seen results such as, I'm looking at one profile right here, where over the course of six months, they increased views by over 200%, more than 600,000 views on these posts in, in less than six months. Uh, another one, a plus 1,000% increase in eight new conversations in the first 30 days. This is a tremendous service to help you to become the go-to person for uh, payroll and HR outsourcing in your market. They create content for you, engage with other people in your space, send connection requests, and do outreach to generate conversations that do nothing more than create valuable relationships with your target audience. If you're interested in learning more about Underdog Digital's executive LinkedIn management service, go to underdogdigital.co. That's underdogdigital.co. All right. So he talks a little bit too about, you know, some motivational stuff. Don't negotiate your goals. I love that. I mean, I've always held the mindset of if I'm aiming really high with my goals and if I fall a little short, that's okay if long as the goal was high enough. Now, if we're setting layup goals where oh, 20% increase or 10% increase, that that's fine. But set higher goals, fall a little bit short, not terrible, but go strong and try to accomplish them anyway. Another message that he said that really resonated with me, and this, this has been something, especially as someone who, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. I didn't grow up in the area. I've been there for, I guess, 11, 12 years now. And this, this one is, if you don't have a seat at the table, make one. So I've had to create my own unique way to get more involved in the community. I didn't have connections there. I had to go out and once again, kind of cold call, be proactive with trying to get involved, volunteer, um, you know, do a lot of things that weren't glamorous, that didn't make money, that didn't uh, produce a lot of uh, results early on. One example I can give you, and this is something I suggest for a lot of you out there, is we actually started a conference. It was very small, first year, maybe 30 people, it was just our clients. It was more of an HR education thing. 
And then this past year, we had about 350 people there. We had, I think, $100,000 worth of sponsorships uh, from, from a lot of great brands around the community. We made it more of a community event focused around entrepreneurship. We had bang up, um, you know, speakers on the stage, the founder of MapQuest and, and uh, geez, what's his name? Jonah Berger, uh, um, author of the book, Contagious, great book. But it, it not only we kind of handed it over to the community and said, hey, look, this is great for all of us, but it also continues to put our brand in a really positive light and gives us an opportunity to really get access to people who I might not otherwise have access to and establish myself in the community as somebody who's doing good. And, you know, that's that's not I'm not doing it for my own advantage. I'm doing it for the advantage of other. We actually give all of the proceeds to charity. Uh, but it's been something that's been really beneficial to me. It's been really rewarding and it's helped us to grow our business as well. So just one way we've kind of taken that. All right. He talks about pressure as a privilege. So once again, if you get complacent, you're not feeling pressure. That means you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And man, this one hit close to home. And, and I've kind of recently put myself into a position with a lot more pressure and a lot more riding on the outcomes. And when you start to do that, you weed out the competition and you're doing things that are that are unique to you, that are maybe things you didn't think were possible, that get you out of the zone of complacency. I think that was really interesting. And so I'd be curious to hear from you guys, like, what are some things you could do to take it to the next level instead of just saying, hey, we're just going to add more clients and we're just going to try to grow and just keep doing more of the same. What is that thing where you can take yourself out of your comfort zone and create that level of pressure on yourself where you can stand out and weed out some of the competition with your unique spin on it. I liked he talked a lot about doing the unexpected, some of the things that he did for his clients. Um, for example, he owned a uh, sort of almost like an Uber for private jets, it sounded like. And he would do a lot of legwork for his clients prior when they would, he had a lot of celebrities that would take the private jets to, to other countries and to like Can Film Festival and he would do really nice things for them whenever they would book it. He would he would reserve multiple restaurants in the city they were going to, the best restaurants in town, in case they wanted to go get dinner and give that to them. And just very proactive with the approach and, and things that are unique. And I think we all, uh, probably most of you listening, do a better job than, once again, the nationals of, of being proactive with your client success and your client support. But what can you really do to kind of stand out and be unique and do unexpected things? I know for us, this is something that we've continued to try to focus on and get better at. You know, some of it's just small gifts that are unexpected to clients or inviting them to places, giving them things that, you know, once again, establishing relationships since we are so regional compared to most. Um, but, but that's one I'm going to chew on and look for some ways that we can get even more aggressive with how we do great things to, to make our clients feel great. This was an interesting one. He said he asked all of his new employees, if, if, if you were to rip up the playbook how would you do it? So if you're training right now and you're new to our team and you are going through our training process and I were to throw it aside, what would you, how would you do it? And I really like that just because it's giving you a unique perspective. It's also telling you how to train this individual because it's giving you kind of, they're going to give you the keys to how they learn as they respond to that. So I thought that was an interesting take on giving some employees, uh, giving your teammates some some really some some co-creation in the role on uh, what it is and geez who talked about co-creators I think that was here oh and Nathan yesterday in the in the session with uh, Nathan the CEO of Mineral 
was a great session. I can do a whole other thing on that. Great job, Nathan, if you're listening. But And then he got into, uh, he wrote a book recently about, I think it's called 30 Days with a Seal, maybe something like that. But he reached out to, or he ran a 100-mile race and met David Goggins. And he did not mention David Goggins' name on stage. I actually asked him about that afterwards, of whether or not he was allowed to. Um, but if you do a quick YouTube search on David Goggins, you will find out in about five minutes what this man is all about. He is a Navy SEAL that has muscle on top of muscle on top of muscle. He's got maybe one of the foulest mouths ever. But he's the type of guy where he, he showed up to that 100-mile race with three things, a folding chair, a bottle of water and a pack of crackers. And Jesse gave the example of he showed up with a, you know, basically an 18 wheeler filled with all these different supplies and all the different things that were going to make his life easier and, you know, masseuse and everything under the sun. And David Goggins, 30 miles into it, his, his blisters were falling off his feet, his toenails were falling off. And instead of giving up, he duct taped them all back on and went out there and finished the race or maybe that was 70 miles in and he finished the last 30. But this guy is an absolute wild animal. And so Jesse invites him to lunch and says, hey, you know, just can I get 15 minutes with you? I want to learn from you. And during the conversation, he's, he realizes that, you know, I'm not going to get much out of 15 days. I'm going to be bold here. This guy's bold. I'm going to be bold. So he asks him to come stay with him for 30 days in his home and turns into a really funny story where he has to tell his wife, who's uh, once again, I think it's mentioned earlier, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx and who recently exited for $1.2 billion. Um, that, hey, I'm bringing David Goggins home for 30 days. And it was absolutely bananas, some of the things that happened from there. I mean, I've, I've heard some of the stories. You didn't get into all of them today, but I think they did something crazy. Like they were running five miles on the hour every hour for a full 24 hours one of the days. He immediately brought him down into the, the workout area of his home and asked him to do as many pull-ups as he could. He did two or three pull-ups and then... He said, all right, great. We're not leaving this room until you do 100 pull-ups. And, and he, you know, two hours later had finally finished the, the 100 pull-ups after telling him there was no way he could do it. And the emphasis is on, is on the fact that our limitations tend to be mostly self-imposed. And so it left me with the question walking away, where am I under-indexing? Where am I putting self-imposed limitations on myself? Um, David Goggins has the 40% rule where he says, when your brain says you're done, you're really only 40% of your threshold. And so kind of trying to be able to power through that and really thinking through like, where are you imposing self-limiting beliefs? I had a great quote about, you know, are you going to be happy if you look back one day and say, I live my life at 80%? It, and I think many of us are, unfortunately. And so that, that was a really good wake up call. And he, he, I forget exactly how he said it, whether it was in his personal mission statement, talked a lot about that. A lot of great resources out there for personal mission statement. I, um, I have a vision, mission statement, uh, bucket list, a lot of things he mentioned. I've put into a Google Doc a couple of years ago and I review them typically about once a week now. And it's, it's really helped me to stay calibrated on what I want to get out of my life and how to measure success. I highly recommend it if some of you, uh, are not doing that, but but it was interesting just to to hear him talk about that. He told a story about how one day he was using the hose to spray down his kids on a hot day out in the yard, and he he got done and he dropped it in the grass and he just left it there. And they got called in for dinner, and he said, "I'll just I'll just pick it up tomorrow." And as he was walking away, he said, oh, is, "Is that who I'm becoming? 
like the guy that picks it up tomorrow, it's not about picking up the hose. It's about the discipline of picking up the hose and taking care of things when they need to happen. And I think, you know, one of the other sessions, they mentioned discipline and regret. And, and as a quote, I've often referred to, and that's in life, you're going to know one of two pains. You're going to know the pain of discipline, or you're going to know the pain of regret. And when you really think through that, it helps you to stay more focused on the discipline in the moment, the things that aren't fun, the things that don't necessarily generate immediate returns, whether that's getting up and going to the gym, whether that's, you know, making that call to a client proactively that, you know, really isn't anything other than just to check in and see how they're doing and, and just to make sure that they're still happy with the way your team is serving them. Uh, those, those things are important. And, and for me, one of the ways I handle that is I schedule those sort of things. So uh, I talked about the example earlier. I had friends ask me, so I wrote a book. Not sure if I've talked about that on here before. I talked about it in the live session we recorded at IPPA today, which was a ton of fun. Maybe touch base on that when we close up. But I just blocked 30 minutes a day every day. And I wrote every day for a year and a half for 30 minutes. And it was just these small things that rolled up over the series of time that created something that I'm, I'm proud of. I, I often say I, I wrote a book and say I wrote a great book. I just wrote a book, right? I think it's pretty good. Not great. Um, it's not a New York Times bestseller or anything, but it's an Amazon bestseller. And I was, I was very happy with it. But anyways, I, I think when you do those sorts of things and you make that commitment to yourself, for me, I'm a very structured guy. I've got to have it baked into my calendar. For others, not so much. But um, one of the things he did was he wrote a contract with himself and, and the very end of it is, and this is the one thing that has stuck out to me more than anything else here that I've learned is the two words, remember tomorrow. And when you think about that, that goes right back to that, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Are you going to regret tomorrow what you're doing right now if you're not disciplined? So if it's that simple thing of eating some Haagen-Dazs before bed, if it's that you know, not getting in that workout, not making that extra call, not chasing that dream, right? So even if you can't necessarily change your whole life today, change your whole circumstances, like what can you do to block that 30 minutes to learn that thing where a year and a half from now, you're going to look back and go, that was an amazing decision. I watch my kids all the time. My kids are learning piano. They practice for 10 minutes a day, five days a week. And how great they have gotten at piano over the course of just a couple of years with just 10 minutes a day and one 30 minute lesson, and they don't even do every day in those 10 minutes. It's unbelievable. There's so much we could accomplish with such small lifts. I think uh, this was a really inspirational talk. And so let's see here. I got a couple more notes. So, oh, this one was great. Do one year defining thing every year. So if you look back on 2022, what is that thing that you can point to that is a year defining activity? Is it a trip? Is it a you know project? Is it a uh, commitment. Um, I love that thought process of just really going, what do I have on my to-do list this year, on my bucket list, on my agenda that I can look back to 2022 and say, that's what defined this year in a positive way. A couple of other quotes real quick. Uh, I didn't come this far to only come this far. I thought that was fantastic. Once again, I think as owners, for those of you that are owners, as professionals, maybe you're a, a top sales rep, maybe you're a top customer service person, whatever it is, it's easy to get complacent, y'all. Don't do it. Keep pushing yourself. And so 
I thought the session was great and the whole event has been wonderful. IPPA has just really knocked this thing out of the park. We did l- record a live uh, payroll and episode on stage on marketing and niches. Had a really incredible group of speakers up there that I, I joke with people going back to the conference. One of the reasons why we started the conference, the, f- the, f- the first year we had it, I had five people on a panel that were all CEOs of best places to work in our area. And only one of those guys was somebody, I mean, he was a great friend of mine. He did as a favor. He doesn't like to do speaking events, but the other four, I did not know well uh, at all, if I knew them at all. And really the only way I could get them to sit down and talk to me for an hour was to get a crowd of people there and, you know, give them the opportunity to showcase their awesome culture and their brand. And that continues to work. And it continues to help me to, not only learn from these awesome people, but you know, I get a little bit of that shine myself on being associated with these people that are really intelligent when I am not. And so that was, that's, that's just a fun thing to do to develop yourself and to learn from others and also to give people an opportunity to share their story. So um, hopefully we're doing a little bit of that here with the podcast and I'm really grateful. I, it's just been humbling. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say they listen that i Quite frankly, most of the people that have said it, I, I would prefer to listen to them because they're just much more intelligent than I am. Uh, but, you know, here we are. That's that's the great thing about bringing on the interviews and why I don't as much like to do these solo episodes, because I know that the best part of this is sharing the interviews with the awesome folks that we have in this industry. And I would just encourage you once again, if you're not an IPPA, that's fine. But make sure you're reaching out to other people in the industry. It's been the biggest part of my professional success is just learning from the people in this industry and understanding that I can share everything about my business with them and it will not hurt me and vice versa because we are really not going to compete and we are here to help each other grow and help each other to, to take more business from the folks who don't don't need it, right? The big nationals. So uh, hopefully this was helpful. If it was, please drop me a note. Let me know. Uh, and don't forget, leave us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And I look forward to talking to you all soon.